Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. You're listening to 3 and 30 Takeaways for Moms, Episode 146, How to Have Grace-Filled Political Conversations with Family and Friends. Welcome to 3 and 30, a podcast for moms who want to create more meaning in motherhood. Each 30-minute episode will feature three doable takeaways for you to try at home with your family this week. I'm your host, Rachel Nielsen. Thank you so much for being here. Before we start this podcast, I want to say up front that this episode is about you, not about other people. It's a conversation that I hope will get you thinking about how you want to show up in the world when politics are discussed. This episode is not about how you want other people in your life to talk about politics, because you can't control other people and you don't know their experiences or the depth of the pain that they may carry surrounding certain candidates and topics. I recently learned the term tone policing, which means refusing to listen to somebody simply because you don't like their tone. Tone policing is often used as a way to silence and shame someone who is angry and hurting and wants to see change in the world. It's essentially saying, I won't listen to you unless you make me feel comfortable with the way that you deliver your message. I guess I want to say, please don't use this episode to tone police the people in your life who are passionate about politics. Instead, use the suggestions in this episode to look at how you are engaging in those conversations and whether or not it's productive and aligned with your values. I do think that the way we respond to other people might change the tone of the conversation. And when we stay in our integrity during those discussions, they may end up taking a surprising turn. I want to share an example of when this happened for me recently. A few weeks ago, I made the mistake of getting on Facebook to check something quick for my business. Facebook can be a scary place anytime, but especially in the months leading up to an election. And the post at the top of my feed felt like a punch to the stomach when I read it. A friend of mine, who I want to say up front I really love and respect, had written a post in which she jokingly advocated that we split America in two and form two different Americas, a Trump America and a Biden America. She then went on to describe how these two different countries would look. The America of her candidate of choice was described in the most glowing terms, while the America of the other candidate was described with every dramatic extreme which has been promoted by biased media. She ended the post by saying, you can choose which side you want to live in for the next four years, but you have to live where you vote. No switching sides when you realize your side sucks. This post, again, from a friend who I love and respect, upset me for several reasons. First of all, is this how polarized and divided we've become as a nation? Would we actually want to divide this country in two and say that only people who agree with us can be in our half of the country? And second, I will be voting for the presidential candidate that my friend opposes. And her description of the type of people who will vote for that candidate was so vilified and simplified that it honestly took my breath away. Fortunately, I had just finished reading a book about how to have grace-filled political conversations called, I Think You're Wrong, But I'm Listening. Isn't that title just the best? 
This book was written by two women who typically vote on opposite sides of the political spectrum, but who have developed their ability to have grace-filled political conversations through being the co-hosts of their top-ranked podcast, Pantsuit Politics. Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers are both mothers and attorneys who are passionate about civic engagement, community, and politics. They believe that we can, quote, choose to respect the dignity of every person, choose to recognize that issues are nuanced and can't be reduced to political talking points, and choose to listen in order to understand. Because of the tools these powerful women teach in their book and on their podcast, I was able to respectfully respond on my friend's Facebook post and point out my concerns with its divisiveness and simplification of nuanced issues. I also told her that I will be voting for the candidate that she opposes and ended my post by asking an honest question that I meant from the bottom of my heart. Do you not want me in your America? Because I definitely want you in mine. I know my friend's heart, so I knew it was safe to go there with her, and as I expected, she responded graciously on the public thread, but then she took it a step further and texted me individually to ask me to tell her more about why I'm supporting the candidate that I am, because she respects me and she wanted to understand. It's hard to believe this, but this exchange turned into a beautiful, connective conversation, where we discovered that we actually agree on much more than we disagree on. I feel closer to my friend after having this discussion about politics than I ever have before, which feels kind of miraculous, and I am beyond grateful to Sarah and Beth for their work in teaching me how to have these conversations. I'm thrilled that they're on the podcast today to teach all of us three of their best tools to navigate these sometimes divisive and exhausting exchanges with our family and friends. Before we jump into this conversation that I know we all need so much right now, I have two important announcements. First, I want to make sure that you know that I will be teaching four free online classes about podcasting this month to anyone who is interested in starting a podcast or growing a podcast that you already have. I'm hosting these classes with my dear friend and fellow podcaster, Monica Packer, as part of our online school for all things podcasting, Podcast University. Monica and I both started our podcast as stay-at-home moms with no social media, marketing, or business background. And we are passionate about helping other busy moms like us start and grow impactful podcasts. The world needs your voice and your message. So if you've ever considered starting a show of your own, or if you have a show, but you'd like it to reach more people, please join us for one of these free classes this month. You can find all of the info by going to podcastu.co slash free class. And I'll include that link in the show notes. And if you can't attend live, there'll be a replay. So go ahead and go get signed up. That's podcastu.co slash free class. Second announcement is that this month of episodes is brought to us by a sponsor that you already know I love, BetterHelp, the world's leading provider of online therapy. I'm truly honored to continue my partnership with a company whose mission is to make professional counseling more accessible, affordable, and convenient to anyone who struggles with life's challenges. The world is in the midst of a tumultuous time, and you are not alone if you are needing mental health support. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp in the past few months that they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. With online counseling, you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, plus send your counselor texts and chat messages throughout the week. It's so convenient, and 3 in 30 listeners get 10% off your first month with the discount code 3 in 30. To get started, simply go to betterhelp.com slash 3 in 30, and that's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and fill out the onboarding questionnaire to help them assess your needs and match you with a counselor that you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash 3 in 30. 
And now onto the show. Let's dive into this timely conversation with Sarah Stewart Holland and Beth Silvers. Here we go. Beth and Sarah, welcome to 3 and 30. Thank, Thank you so you. much for having us. This conversation is so, so needed right now. As I mentioned in that introduction, I think so many of us are seeing so many polarizing, divisive things in the media and on Facebook, and we just want to shy away from the conversations altogether because they feel so heated. And so today you're going to teach us how to have these conversations with Grace. But before we even launch into your takeaways, I wanted to ask you, why do you think it's worth the effort to even have these conversations? Why not just hide and never talk to anybody about politics? <laughs> well, your introduction was such a beautiful example of that. I love how you described this exchange that could have gone very badly and sowed the seeds for so much resentment in a friendship that means something to you as a connective mm -hmm. moment. And Sarah and I know from our own experience, having these conversations over hours and hours now over years with each other, that it is connective because you aren't just talking about politics. When you talk politics, you're talking about your values. You're talking about how you want to live in community with other people, what kind of country you want this to be, what kind of world you want to create for your children, and why not have that kind of discussion? Well, and if we all want to live on Facebook, if we want to just let it continue down the path to where every conversation, our entire civic life looks like a Facebook thread, then we can keep doing what we're doing. I do not want that. I do not want that for myself. And I do not want that for my children. I do not want that for my worst enemies. So I think that we can see how this can play out and how we can continue to move away from each other. And we can continue to use technology to keep us separated instead of saying exactly what your friend did. Let's take this offline. I want to know more Yes, and, and connect in real life with one another. Yes. Amen. And it's hard. I feel like, especially with our family and our very closest friends, because I think it's easy for me to accept when people that I don't know that well, or they're just kind of acquaintances have different political opinions than I do. But when it comes to those people that are closest to me, because it is tied to my values, it feels so much more personal where I'm like, how can someone that I love this much, who I know is a good person, see the world this way? And so it's, it, that's where the heat comes because you care about these people. But that's when you just got to take a deep breath and realize that just because somebody believes differently doesn't mean they're a villain. And you've really given me some great tools that I'm excited for you to introduce to the community today. Well, let's start with our first takeaway, which is amplified so much by the story that you shared at the beginning, Rachel, and that is that we all need to take our jerseys off. Mm. <laughs> this doesn't mean that you don't identify with a party. It doesn't mean that parties are bad. It doesn't mean that you can't get really excited about a party and its candidates. It does mean that we have to unhook our identity from the political parties so that we're able to show up as whole human beings in these conversations. Because when we decide I am a Republican or I am a Democrat, we don't make space for us to also be moms, sisters, friends, daughters. We get so many messages from listeners that are about their dads and struggling in political conversations with their dads. And I hear in those messages it is because when we're talking politics, dad stops being dad and dad starts being a Fox News viewer or a MSNBC addict. And it is that partisan identity that is intended. You know, and we use the word Jersey intentionally because we have started to approach partisan politics 
as a competitive battle only. And there is a winner and a loser every time. And we see how unsustainable that course is for us. And so Sarah and I really want to encourage people to just put that aside, not eradicate it from your life because, you know, our home state of Kentucky, you must register with a party to vote in primaries. And I think voting in primaries is so critically important. So I'm not telling you don't be affiliated with a party. Feel free to affiliate. Feel free to be a party organizer and a party person, but be able in conversations with people you love to be there as the entirety of yourself. Mm. And I do love in your book, you give so many specific examples from headlines of where we use sports language when we are talking politics and in sports, only one team wins. And so if that's the way that we're viewing politics, we're never compromising. We're never innovating. We're never getting creative and talking to the other side because that's not how it is in sports, but that is how it should be in politics. Well, you know, sometimes I think when we wrote the book, it it felt like the height of polarization Mm -hmm. and that was naive. Yeah. When was that? When did you write the book? We wrote it in 2018. Okay. And so now I wonder if a more appropriate metaphor would be armor because that's what it feels like. It feels like Mm. we are not on a sports field. We're in a battle arena Mm. and everybody has on their armor. And it's not just you're a Democrat or Republican. It's that you're an enemy of the state. Mm, Yes. You are here to take out America. And to me, that particular form of language and raising the stakes so high that any form of insult, meanness, hatefulness, dehumanization, violence, let's be honest. I mean, that's what is happening right now. There is violence against American versus American in certain areas of the country right now. Mm -hmm. And that's why, because when we treat each other like soldiers in a battle and the stakes are so high that it's the future of America, then every sort of behavior is appropriate. And look, the, the difficult paradox of talking about it and saying, let's remember our humanity and let's take off our our jerseys or our armor, however the case may be, is that the stakes are incredibly high. The -hmm. stakes are high for people of color. The stakes are Mm -hmm. high for DACA recipients. So we don't want to imply that, oh, nothing here is that important so you can calm down Mm. because that's not the case. That's not the case. But we don't dehumanize because it protects our own humanity. We uh, can understand what's at stake. And even when the stakes are high, refuse to put on that identity in a way, wear that armor or that jersey in a way that anyone who isn't wearing it looks like less than other Mm -hmm. them to us. Yes. Yeah, it's really that the stakes are too high to be wearing a jersey. The the stakes are too high to outsource your thinking about your values and priorities, your vote, whether we're voting for the mayor or the president or any office in between matters too much to allow a media source, a long held label, some sense of what a good person does to dictate the outcome. We've really got to investigate these issues for ourselves and search our hearts about what we want in our country and for our neighbors and our kids. And labels are hard to discount. I mean, labels about ourselves, it's hard to just set that aside. I was a practicing lawyer for the first six years of my career. And when I stopped practicing, people could not believe that I wasn't going to be a lawyer anymore. Like I was just throwing away this massive part of myself because that wasn't my job title. 
And I think we do that to an even more extreme degree with our partisan labels. Like I was a Republican my entire life until 2019 when I changed my party registration and I would have changed it to independent, but I, I made it Democrat so I could vote in primaries in Kentucky. And that was difficult. And it was way more difficult for all the people around me than it was for me. Because I had Mm -hmm. gone through such a process to figure out what I want to express about myself politically. But still to this day, we get multiple emails a week asking about my partisan identification. And Mm -hmm. I just think it's tricky when we've said a thing about ourselves to say a different thing. Yes. Mm -hmm. Even your book says, you know, Sarah from the left and Beth from the right And to accept that sometimes that has to change because of the nuance, which is something that you talk about so often in your show and in your book, that you don't have to be a strict party line. You have to also follow your conscience and your values and take in new information. I think so often with political candidates, people don't want them to ever change their minds on anything. And if they do, then they say that they're a flip-flopper or that they're wishy-washy when really I'm like, as human beings, don't we want leaders that when they get new information, their opinions evolve. That's who I want in a leader. Well, and the field changes too, to keep using that sports metaphor. I believe in limiting the power of the federal government for a variety of reasons. Mm -hmm. We're in a pandemic right now. We need a strong federal government. It doesn't matter philosophically Mm -hmm. what I think about it. There are dimensions, and I think this is true whatever your politics are, There are dimensions of a crisis that necessitate that kind of response. And so this is a time for reexamination. We can change our Mm. labels because we've changed. We can also change our labels because the world is changing. And Mm. that should change us too, no matter where you are. It doesn't mean, oh, I've always been wrong about this. It means I'm learning to see things in a fresh way because the times call for that. Yes. Yes. So well said. So this is a really great segue into the second takeaway, which is exit your echo chamber. When we wrote the book, I think we thought a lot about the media environment. Then it's easy to just find those voices that reinforce. Now, if you add in social media as a source of news, which it is increasingly becoming, it's like people's, Mm, the front page of their paper, because local papers are closing down. And those voices in our ears that were people in our towns that we trusted telling us about the things in our communities and our states are just, they're decreasing dramatically. Mm. And so we're all on Facebook and we're getting an algorithm that rewards drama feeding Mm -hmm. us news links. And I'm using the word news links pretty loosely here because sometimes they're not news links. Sometimes they're just memes or GIFs or a page. Both sides have this problem where we can get in these environments, these sort of interactions of media and social media feeds where we hear what we want to hear. And the algorithm makes that happen because it knows what you like and it wants you. It knows what you like. Yeah. And it wants you to keep clicking because that's ad revenue. So it will continue feeding you what you like and it will never show you something that you don't like. Exactly. This is not a good place to be in. Mm-hmm. It is a much better place to be in where you are confronting information and being in a space where you have to either explain yourself or you can at least listen with an open heart and think through your values. Okay, why does this rile me up? 
why do I only want to hear one side of this? Is it because I don't think there's truth on the other side? Or maybe this is a disinformation campaign? Valid. Let's look into that. But you can't do that if you're in your echo chamber. You have to exit. You have to have difficult moments where you can confront your own mental shortcuts and Mm -hmm. emotional reflexes and really take in information that is going to give you a complete picture of what's going on. And so I don't think this means that you have to, if you only listen to MSNBC, you need to go watch Fox News for 24 hours. That's just going to harden you, right? That's going to push you so far in the other direction Hmm. that you're going to come out angry and probably a little worse off for the wear. Mm -hmm. And the same work in the other direction. If you watch Fox News and you try to roll an MSNBC, that's not going to work either. Mm -hmm. What we really encourage people to do as far as a media diet is, look, we don't subscribe to the belief that the presence of bias makes something untrue, okay? So we really do depend on the major media outlets, the New York Times, the Washington Post, NPR, NBC News. Now, I don't, we don't watch it. We read it. But what I think works really well is pick one that's just a little outside of what you usually listen to. Not a, you know, 180, but just a little bit. And listen to it for a sustained period of time. Because it's not like there's a new news story every single day. A lot of times it's just adding layers of detail and you'll see what they get wrong. You'll see how the narrative shifts. You'll Mm -hmm. see how they are going to pay attention to one thing, but maybe not another. And then that other thing will bubble up. And you'll start to get a feel for that news source. And you'll start to get a feel for the actual news. You'll gain details even if you just listen to one podcast for 10 minutes a day. Well, that's an hour over a week. And so now you've consumed news and you're getting a lot more layers of information Mm -hmm. enough to say, oh, that sounds different than what they reported yesterday. Or that's interesting that they're not emphasizing that as much as they were yesterday. And you're going to get some really good media analysis skills Mm. just by sticking with one for a while and then shift. If you want to go back to your direction, shift a little bit. But just sometimes exiting the echo chamber doesn't mean running the opposite direction. It just means focusing so if you can see trends over time that will help you become a more informed media consumer. Hmm. I think this is also about separating what is news from what is analysis because so many of us are taking in a massive diet of analysis without actual news. Mm, Yes, We are watching Twitter or Facebook for stories from opinion writers. And look, Sarah and I host a political podcast where we do analysis. (laughs) So I'm not saying you shouldn't have analysis in your life, but I'm saying you should do your news first. And that approach of this is my source that I go to for five, 10 minutes a day is a really good way to make sure that you're getting news. And it's also a really good way to get your news consumption out of social media. I check in on headline news twice a day. That is my pattern because that's about the amount of time I find that media needs to get the story something close to right to have it written well, to give us details about what's going on, to help me formulate questions about what else I want to know about the story. That's really different than latching on to a personality or a writer and saying, I just want to hear what this person has to say. And that's my news because that's not news. Mm -hmm. That's just the person's opinion, which can add a lot of richness to your life. But you want to have that foundation first of just what is actually going on. Yes, yes. And I also love in this chapter of the book that you are really emphasizing it's not just the news that's your echo chamber. It's also the people in your life and in your community. And if you're only ever talking with people and going to church with people and surrounded by people who agree with you, then 
of course, that's what you believe, you know? And so you need to, you need to exit that echo chamber and talk to some people who don't agree with you. And you have some really concrete challenges that you have given your listeners for how to do that. Could you share some of those? Yeah. And I will say too, here's the thing. You're never surrounded with people that always agree with you. Mm. <laughs> Good point. Even in the most, you know, intense environment, I promise you there are people there that think this doesn't sound right to me, but are too scared to do it, yeah. especially women, mm. because we have been taught to never, ever create conflict or to even make anybody uncomfortable. Mm. And right now, politics is uncomfortable. And so, you know, as part of the exit, the echo chamber, we say, why don't you reach out even through a letter to somebody you know that you have political disagreement with or maybe you've had political conflict with in the past? Mm. Because a letter sort of gives everyone room to breathe, gives us time to think through what we want to say and gives them time to respond. But we also say once you've practiced this skill a little bit, doing this in person is really valuable. And the thing is, the more we say this is a normal thing for us to talk about. And I know it's hard, but I value everyone here. Even if we don't always agree, it creates space for other people to do that too. Mm. It, it says this is a socially acceptable thing because it's really important to all of us and we value each other. And so we should value each other's opinions mm. and we work on each other. You know, I always use the phrase I learned from Sister Wives, uh, my old favorite reality show, <laughs> where she says, we bump up against each other and we rub our rough edges off. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's what's really important. And I think some of the vitriol we're seeing right now is because we're all stuck at home and we're not rubbing up against each other and rubbing our rough edges off and remembering, I don't want to make this person feel like I don't want to live in America with them. I love this person. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we need to be with each other and have ongoing conversations not thread exchanges in order to remember that and to check in with that, to check in with our better angels. Yeah. And I, the first chapter of your book is called, We Should Talk Politics. We should. We should be having these conversations mm -hmm. with our family and friends. And the more you do it, it's like anything in life. It takes practice. And the more you do it, the better you get at it, having graceful conversations. But those first few times are going to be scary and it may not go quite the way you wanted. And I love that you suggest maybe doing it in writing the first time for that reason. But we should be having these conversations. Beth, what do you have to add to this? Well, I think this really segues nicely into our third takeaway that we mm -hmm. wanted to share, too, because how we take in information relates to building a muscle that Sarah and I think is so important, and that is curiosity. One of the things that makes it intimidating to sit down and write that letter is that we feel like we don't know everything about politics. Mm. So many of us are put off by the coded language that is used around how laws are passed. And so few of us really understand what does the federal government do versus the state government versus my local government? It is hard to know if you want a road fixed, whose responsibility that road is. It's difficult. Our system of politics is very complex. Mm. And so one of the things that we've come to understand is that just approaching the entirety of this discussion with curiosity is helpful. Mm. And that means when I write that letter, I'm not trying to persuade anyone. I'm just trying to open a window between us where I say, I want to understand how you feel. And because of that, I'm being vulnerable and sharing how I feel. Mm. And it means when we get to a news story and we don't know much about it, we exercise some curiosity and say, what's missing here? What do I want to learn? What do I feel like I don't understand? I've heard so many people applauding the agreement that was just reached between Israel and the United Arab Emirates. 
And when I heard about that agreement, I had no context to place it in because I don't know much about UAE. I know quite a bit about Israel now, but not about UAE. And I sat down to do some research just on its geography and population density. How big is it compared to Israel? Why was there a need for a peace agreement in the first place between these two countries specifically? Sarah and I have gone through this exercise time and again, where we think we know how we feel about a topic. And then we do the research and we were just completely wrong about what the current state of affairs is. Mm, Yes. I loved those sections in your book where you kind of broke down those issues and you said you did research as primer episodes, which is basically just the facts. Before you give any analysis, you give the history of the issue, how it's changed and how doing that research has really changed your minds in a lot of areas. And I think, Beth, what I latched onto at the beginning of your comment was just that I think sometimes we shy away from these topics if we don't know that much about them, because we almost feel like we should, or we feel dumb somehow. So we don't talk about it, or we stick to our political talking points that we've gotten from our party. And instead Mm -hmm. of just getting curious and saying, it's okay that I don't know everything about this, and I can just learn about it. It doesn't mean anything about me that I don't know everything about everything. I think the one thing I really want people to take away is that you don't have to be an expert because you're a citizen. You're a citizen. You're an essential part of this system. It does not function without all of us. Mm. And it does not function well when we let the loudest voices, who often aren't experts themselves, fill the space. Yes. We need peace bankers. We need stay-at-home moms. We need people who aren't so consumed by the vision of how foreign policy or how domestic policy or how daycare subsidies or the public education system should go that they don't see how it's actually going right now. Mm, yeah. We need the citizens who are participating in this systems to say this isn't working or I think this might work. We desperately need all of us. This is what our system of government is built on. Mm-hmm. And to be intimidated out of the space because you don't have a law degree or you don't have a degree in political science, it's just, it's a tragedy. It's, it's a tragedy mm-hmm. because we need everybody involved in solving our problems. Yeah. And I will admit, I was intimidated this morning getting ready to interview the two of you because you just know so much, but this is also your life's work. And so I'm like, take a deep breath and just have a conversation. You don't have to know everything, Rachel, in order to have this conversation with two women that know a lot more than you. So just going into conversations with the people we love with that attitude and getting curious about them as well, not just about issues, but also about the people and why do they believe the way that they do instead of immediately writing them off as, you know, Mm -hmm. a fool or an idiot for believing a certain way. And I have a personal story about that. I had just finished reading your book. I listened to your book, actually, because that's what moms do is they they listen on the go, at least this mom. And I was driving down the street in my small town and I saw a man who was picketing or he had signs for the candidate that I won't be voting for for president. My initial instinct would have been in the past to make assumptions about him and his character. But I had just read your book and the thought that came into my mind and it surprised me, but also delighted me was good for him for speaking up about something that matters to him. And I wish I could talk to him because to me, this candidate is so clearly not the right choice for our country, but I wonder why he thinks he is the right choice for our country. I wish I could have a conversation with him. And that shift really did delight me that we don't have to make assumptions. We can just get curious about people and say, why do you believe what you believe? Yeah, if we can offer nothing else, let it be a permission slip to do that without having all the answers because this is our life's work and we don't have all the answers. The world is too big. 
and changing too rapidly for anyone to know everything. And it's never been the intention that voters would arrive in the voting booth able to speak eloquently on everything from international trade agreements to how we fund public schools in the United States. Yes. We are supposed to just show up as citizens and value expertise enough to elect representatives who we think have the capacity to acquire it and to surround themselves with experts. Mm -hmm. You know, that's it's layers of people working together that makes this country work well. Mm -hmm. And I think part of the reason it hasn't functioned is because we don't trust those people. But there's a part of me that thinks we can't ever trust those people if we don't trust ourselves because we are the ones who send them there. Mm -hmm. Something I heard this week that really struck me is that who we choose as our political candidates is a reflection of us. And we need to trust their values that they will, like you said, surround themselves with wise people, that they will listen, that they will take advice, that they will act out of integrity. Even if we don't know all the specifics of the issues, if we can trust those people, which is very hard for some of us, you know, you hear so often, you can't trust any of them. They're all corrupt, you know, and how do you respond to that when people say that? Well, I ran for office, so I get real defensive. I served a single term as my city commissioner. And what I often say is, if we continue to talk about politicians like they are dogs, who do you think is going to want to run for office? Yeah, it's true. If you want better people in office, stop talking about politicians like they are the lower rung of humanity. It's really upsetting because I ran for office, so I feel like people are talking about me. I worked in politics. I saw these people close up. They are not what people think they are. Mm. And it's just, it is, you know, there are jerks like there are in every single profession. And there are corrupt people just like there are in every single profession. And I, I think that if we want better people, if we want quote unquote, more everyday people to run, then we have to stop talking about politicians like that. Yeah. And I do think that leads into a question that has been heavy on my heart and my mind that I was excited to ask the two of you. I know a lot of people are wondering this. I know that your goal is to teach people how to grace-filled political conversations. And that is very much my nature. My innate nature is to say, let's all be respectful. Let's have peaceful conversations. But I have also heard people say, particularly with this election, that sometimes is there a point where something is just wrong and you need to stop with the soft grace-filled and just say flat out that this is wrong. Do you, do you understand what I'm asking? Like, Absolutely. how do you, where do you draw the line there and how do you continue to have graceful conversations even in the face of that? We've been talking a lot lately about mothering as a good metaphor for citizenship. We can tap that instinct where we say, I love you and Absolutely not. And sometimes those boundaries, especially, you know, if you are a member of a oppressed minority, we are not and never will ask you to engage with someone who does not respect your fundamental humanity. Mm -hmm. That is the work of people in connection with that person in a more privileged group with more safety and resources to do that work on that person. Mm -hmm. And so if you are a, a victim or you feel dehumanized, we are not asking you to do that. Like we are saying for the people who feel safe and feel protected and feel like they have privilege inside these spaces and can keep their own humanity intact, then let's, let's work with grace on these people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wish there was an easy like sort of math equation I could get people to know when we're talking about that and it, I don't have one, we just have to fill it out. But I think, you know, kind of as we go, but I think as caregivers, so many of us understand how to walk that line. Mm. Yes. Beth, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think that mothering is a good metaphor and in relationships where we feel like we can't mother, we can sister, you mm -hmm. know, we can say things like, 
this is not who I know you to be. Mm. I don't understand what you're saying right now. I don't know how to reconcile that with the person that I've seen stop to help somebody on the side of the road, Mm. right? There are ways to draw people back into a conversation about who we are. Mm. And I think we have to do that. Mm -hmm. And when we talk in those partisan labels, there's no room. But when we say things like, you know, we are not fundamentally upholding the dignity of immigrants through these actions. Mm. Or when you say this about Black Lives Matter, I hear something that is fundamentally at odds with the person I know you to be. Help me understand that. Mm. And I think just not being afraid to ask people those hard questions and to push for that deeper level of conversation about all of this is the only way that we have connections with each other. And maintaining those connections are the only way we get to a better political dialogue overall. Yes. And I was having a conversation with my dad last night who I deeply respect. And I asked him this question and he said, you know, I've come to the point with a few different relationships and people in my life where I've wanted to really lose my grace for them and really like let them have it or just write them off. And he said, I just realized that shame literally has never changed anyone's mind ever. Mm -hmm. Shaming someone for what they believe will not help them to see the point that you're trying to make. So you can take a firm stance and say, no, this is not okay, but still do it coming from a place of grace. And it is possible, especially if we take a deep breath and employ some of these strategies that you've given us throughout this episode, it's possible to do that. And I think just let's all think about this as not our individual battles to fight. We are a collective. We are a community. And what we've seen is that shame shuts things down. But social pressure can move people. And sometimes like speaking up because we are in community with one another and speaking up and sort of creating that uncomfortable moment where at least somebody can't think everybody feels the way I do. Yes. And you can just create that a little bit of that social pressure because we are social beings and we are looking to one another and we are feeding off one another. And so the more people who can say, I don't see it that way. And I think that way is harmful and dangerous. I love you, but I think that that's dangerous. Mm, And the more we can just add our voices to the many instead of feeling like, you know, we as individuals have all this pressure on us in each conversation, know that you are not alone. Mm. Everybody is having those tough moments with their relatives and on Facebook and with their friends. And I think knowing that really, really can empower us and help us understand that we're participating in sort of a bigger social pressure, social movement, however you want to call it, that can really change things. Yes. Yes. That gives me courage to speak more boldly about my beliefs as well. And I hope people listening will take that as well. I just want to thank you both so much for your work, for your years of engaging in these types of conversations. It's paid off so much in who you are as people, as well as the way you're able to model for others through your podcast, how to do this, how to have graceful conversations. I know it's been a huge blessing in my life. Thank you not only for coming on the podcast, but for the work that you do every day. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Rachel. Thanks for having us and for everything that you're doing here. Thank you, my friends, for listening to that entire discussion. I hope it gave you so much to think about. I know we're running longer than we typically do on 3 and 30, but I felt this conversation was so important that it would be okay to do 3 and 40 this time around. 
In today's heated political climate, I invite all of us to consider Sarah and Beth's three takeaways that will help us to hold on to our integrity and our humanity as we discuss politics with family and friends. And those three takeaways are, first, take off your jersey. Remember that politics is not sports. We don't need to think in terms of one side wins and the other side loses. When we're willing to lower our weapons and look at the nuance within issues and candidates instead of holding tightly to our party's political talking points, only then is there room for the innovation and problem solving that our country desperately needs right now. Second, exit the echo chamber. To understand the nuance within political issues, it's important to occasionally hear the thoughts and opinions of people who don't agree with you. Make sure you're not getting all of your news from social media, which works via an algorithm. Engage with news and analysis that lean slightly outside of your typical political viewpoint. And have conversations with family and friends who don't agree with you on everything politically. You can do that through a letter or in person, but hear those different opinions. Sarah and Beth have a list of different reputable news sources that lean one political direction or the other, and I'll include that in the show notes in case you're not even sure where to start with exploring different viewpoints. I'm excited to dive into that list and learn more. And third and finally, get curious. Don't hold back from speaking up or voting just because you feel a little under-informed on some issues. Get curious and start researching and talking to people to learn more. Get curious about people who disagree with you and ask them questions and try to really hear them out. If we can take these three steps, I truly believe that politics could become something that refines us and our opinions, connects us to other people and a broader worldview, and builds our communities in meaningful, hopeful ways. Doesn't that sound so much better than staying angry and divided? My friends, I'm grateful for you, and I hope that we can all go and have a grace-filled political conversation this week. I'm rooting for you, and I hope you have a beautiful week with your family.